as Lord and Master and Savior, then by doing that, you have already drawn a line in the sand, Peter says, and you have now been identified as an exile or a sojourner. You are someone who says, the earth is not my home, heaven is my home. And so what Peter's going to do this morning as we look at the second chapter of Peter is he's going to give us this, uh, th- some encouragement as we endure as sojourners and exiles in a place that is not our home, as we are misunderstood so often by the world. Um, and, and so what my challenge to you this morning is to, in your mind but also in your heart, to recognize this morning if there's part of you that still wants to cling to the ways of the world, still wants to find comfort and you know, meaning uh, in what this world has to offer. And for those of us who have put our hope in Christ, there is hope to be found when we separate ourselves from the hope that, is, that the world has to offer and what Jesus has to offer. And so this morning we're going to look into some encouragement. Peter gives us this charge to endure. I remember um, when I, there was a very, very short period of my life where I was running <laughs> constantly. <laughs> it was probably almost about two months. I was probably 50 pounds lighter and, you know, a lot more strong, whatever the word is. And a, a friend of mine, we, you know when you're young and you, and you stay up late because you, you have no other responsibilities, we were just hanging out in, in a friend's living room, and he says, hey, let's go jogging. And I'm like, man, the only reason I run is if like a bear is chasing me or something, right? And he goes, no, it's going to be, be good for you. Let's go running. So he talked me into running, and uh, we used to live in Roland Heights, and I don't know if you're familiar with the area. But we, we ran up Nogales over uh, Pathfinder, down Brea Canyon Cutoff, back on Kalima. And it was about a five-mile run. It was the first time I had ever run in my whole life. And I remember going up the hill up Nogales thinking, what in the world am I doing? And just wanting to die, wanting to give up. And about halfway up the hill, if you're, if you're an avid runner, you, you've probably experienced this, this euphoria <laughs> came over my body, and I was like, oh, it was like angels were carrying me, and I was like, this is amazing, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, you know, and this energy had come, but if I wouldn't have pressed through, if I wouldn't have endured past this point, I would have never experienced this energy and this strength that had come to me, because all of that was within inside of me when I was running, as I just wanted to stop, turn around, and say, this is foolishness. And so Peter is calling us to this life of being exiles and sojourners, but he says you need to endure through it. And often what we do as Christians is we come into confrontation or discomfort and we go, ugh, this is way too much. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to turn around and do what's comfortable and easy. But Peter gives us some, some encouragement. So let's turn to our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to read from 18 all the way to 25. Peter says, Servants, be subject to your masters. Your, your version you may be reading might say, even say slaves. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it changes and transforms us. I pray for us in this room, Lord, that you would encourage your people this morning. I pray for those of us who are enduring and are getting tired or have lost sight of the goal or have put our hope in other things or who long for the ways of the world. God, will you come by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning and illuminate our hearts where our hope has grown dim, where our faith in you has become Old hat and take it for granted. Will you renew that in us this morning, we pray. Holy Spirit, we we surrender our hearts to you. We say, make us more like your son, Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So, So Peter uses this word servants, and your version might say slaves. Now, right away, we hear that and we go, whoa. Is, is Peter condoning slavery? He's saying, be submitted to your masters. Now, what we have to understand is the context of what Peter's saying here, okay? What, what, for us who uh, are Americans, our first thought of slavery is we think of, you know, our heritage hundreds of years ago and how, you know, things can, but that's, it's a different understanding of what slavery was in this context. Slavery was part of the economic system, yes, to be sure, just like the American uh, heritage was, but the, the understanding of what a slave was was very different. And so when he's speaking to these slaves or servants, it's almost it, what he's actually talking about is there was this system in a household that was very common in the culture. And ser- servants or slaves could also own property. They were, they were educated people. And sometimes they even would offer themselves up to be slaves or servants in people's homes. Now, was it a godly thing? Absolutely not. And Peter, he doesn't outright say there shouldn't be slavery. He gives mention to the slaves and encourages them uh, to find faith in Christ and to, and to be built up and to put their hope in, in, in other things. And so what he is doing is he is saying that we need to undo this system. But if what we do this morning is look at this and go, oh my goodness, slaves, and he's saying that's okay. Okay, let's throw that out of our thinking this morning. That's not what the Bible is saying, all right? Um, we know that slavery is absolutely, it's unjust, it's evil. Um, but in the context of what Peter is saying here, really for us this morning, it kind of translates into bosses and employees 
or people that are over us in authority and us being under authority. Um, So let's kind of put those lenses on this morning as we think through what it means to endure as exiles, as people under the authority of, of the work structure that we're in. Now here's the question. Have you ever had a bad boss? What did you do? I remember having a boss. Uh, it was the last job that I worked before I worked for myself. And um, it was this woman who had been in her position for 30 years, and she, was, she just did it her way, right? And I was this younger kind of guy coming in, and she was looking for every excuse to kind of write me up. I remember one time I, I was making purchases uh, for, for this company, and, and I had to fulfill a purchase order. And I remember on the impact printer, if you know what an impact printer is, one of those ones that go, eh, 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 you know, it's not like the modern day ones that we have now. And what you would do is you pull the carbon copy off, and she wanted me to make a copy of the carbon copy. And lo and behold, the copy I made of the carbon copy wasn't bright enough, so she put it in my file and wrote me up. I remember one day I I was sent an email just saying, hey, I'm going to lunch, and she wrote me up for not putting punctuation in my inner office email. So, I mean, there was just like every excuse that she could find to write me up and on my review so that she could find some fault with me. I mean, inner office email, how ridiculous is that? Now, some of us have worse bosses than that. I don't know. Maybe you've worked for somebody who's, you know, they're just terrible. And every day you're like, God, how can I endure? How can I get through this? How I just want to like wring their neck, right? Or we 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 just we can't wait till five o'clock gets around and on Friday and we are out of there because we're like, we hate this place. And all we can do is complain about our bosses, complain about the situations that we're in. But see, Peter doesn't really give us. That freedom to do that as Christians. He uses this word endure. Now, here's here's the problem with the word endure. Some of us this morning could go, oh, I'm just going to endure it. Right? I'm just going to get through it. I'm just going to, you know, chug along until I hit that retirement day. And then I'll show them. But that's not what Peter's saying here. It's a different kind of endurance that he's calling us to. So here's my question to you. When you endure, are you enduring, are you mindful of God? Or are you mindful of man? See, Peter says this, this in verse 19, he says, For this is a gracious thing when, what? Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering justly, unjustly. The problem that we have when we endure is that our mind is not on the things of God. It's on our own comfort. It's on our own flesh. It's on maybe the fear of man, what people will think about us. But Peter doesn't give this opportunity. He says, when suffering, being mindful of God, one endures sorrows. See, everything that we do is unto the Lord. Have you ever heard that before? Everything you do, whether you're um, eating your lunch, whether you're picking out the same shirt as Nick and, and Ryan. Did you guys call each other this morning? Yeah. Whatever you're doing, whether you're working for your boss, whether you're watching your kids, whether you're changing a dirty diaper, whether you're walking an old lady across the street, whether you're, you're, you're enduring through your, whatever you're doing, who are you doing it for? 
Well, we all know the pat answer, right? It's for God. Yeah, oh. But it's hard. It's hard when your boss goes, hmm, I'm just going to make a copy of your copy of the copy. (laughs) What? Well, you didn't put a period on the end of that sentence that was just to me only telling me to go to lunch. Are you crazy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we don't endure because our mind is on the things of man. See, when... When we're, our mind is on the things of God, we do it unto God. It's, it's like a boy uh, who's, who's in football, right? And he's, the coach can be yelling, he, the, blah, 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 the coach can be saying, yeah, Monaghan, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right. And then what, what, it, what happens is we can end up wanting to please our coach, but really we should end up wanting to please our dad who's watching us in the bleacher, Right? So I go and watch my son, and he's out there. And yes, he should be doing all these things, but really my son wants to make me proud. He's like, Dad, are you looking? Dad, are you watching? Did you see that tackle I got? Did you see that catch I got? And often we put our hope and our mind is on the things of man when it should be, we should be mindful of God. How else does Peter encourage us with this endurance? He calls us to endure not only with our minds on the things of God, but he calls us to endure with grace. Look at verse 20. He says, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now here's my other question on this. How much of the way that you respond to others has to do with the way that you've been treated? right? Preaching to myself right here. Often, we react. Often, what we do is a situation comes into, okay, so can I just be vulnerable with you guys this week? All right. Remember how last week I was talking about speeding and how we need to obey the law? Well, I'm on my way to Brea, and for me, I take the canyon, and uh, I'm about to turn onto the canyon, and this guy in front of me, he's on his phone. <gasps> All right? We, you shouldn't be on your phone, right? So I'm already irritated. And then he's looking down every once in a while, and he's swerving all over the place. He's driving like 30 miles an hour. And I'm, and I'm in a rush. I'm trying to get there. You know, that, this, I'm just being vulnerable. Driving <laughs> is one of my most unsanctified areas of my life. <laughs> so I'm in the left lane. He's in front of me, and I'm thinking, this knucklehead, right? So I pull, I pull in the left lane to turn left. What does he do? He cuts me off. Well, I graciously let him know. I honk my horn, right? Then he gets mad because I honked his horn. Honk horn. So then I go, to, there's two tur- left turning lanes. I get in the further left turning, and then he cuts me off again. So now I am mad. I really let him know that he cut me off. For about 10 seconds, I let him know. (laughs) Well, he really didn't like that. Now, it's really easy to be brave inside your car. Well, we unfortunately, this light was red when this happened. So I see him put the thing in park, and I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) He gets out of the car. He is jacked. 
And I'm just sitting there like watching this guy. He comes up to the window. He is yelling, spits flying out of his face, dropping every curse word that can be. And then he proceeds to punch my window. So I'm sitting there. <laughs> okay. Thank God he got back into the car. And the rest was history. Got to work. But now here, here, the problem is that I wasn't in, I could, well, how can I say this? <laughs> Peter says to endure, he says, what does it benefit you when you suffer when you've sinned? I could have, what I could have done in that moment is played the victim and go, oh, this guy was so mean to me and he punched my window. But I was being just as much of a jerk to him as he was to me. See, the problem is that we often play the victim, or we say, oh, this is unfair. But Peter goes even beyond that, and he says, even when you're doing good, suffer graciously. Wait a minute. This is America. (laughs) This is not what we're called to do. I'm the head, not the tail, hallelujah, right? And so when I'm doing good, I should reap the benefits of doing good. When I'm doing justice, I should reap the benefits of getting justice back. But the problem is that Peter says, even when you suffer for doing good, this is a gracious thing. And often as Christians, we we place ourselves in this pious or moral standpoint and say, look at who we are. Look at how well we're doing. Look at, look at you know, all of these things. Why are we misunderstood? Why does the world hate us? Why does the world treat us this way? Why does my boss do X, Y, and Z? I'm a good person. And all of that may be true, but Peter says to suffer graciously. And the key to that word is grace, because there's grace that is afforded to us. There's grace that is given to us. Why would he say just suffer and do well in suffering if there wasn't grace provided. Now here is the other problem. We try to get through suffering without being empowered by grace. We try to get through it on our own strength, right? We try to get through it, or, or what we do is we turn it towards the ways of living outside of grace, which rears its head in what? Revenge, right? I mean, let me tell you guys. Everything inside of me wanted to get out of my car too. Except for the fact that the guy was a lot bigger than me. <laughs> I, as I drove, though, I was thinking, oh, I should have oh, done this. I should have done that. You know, because you feel humiliated and everyone's looking at, oh, dang, right? Around you. But everything inside me, I was like, man, I should have got out and told him what's up. Because we want revenge. The problem with us being revengeful is that it puts us, us as, a, as a place of a judge. That's really what it is. It's to us to cast judgment on someone who, who's done something ill will toward us. But the problem with that is that we're not perfect. We're not good judges. We're broken judges. We're sinful. What else do we do when we step outside the means of grace? We want to let everyone know, right? Like even me telling you this story this morning, I'm hoping you'll take a little pity on me today. (laughs) But look how hard it is. Look how much I'm suffering. Look how much, you know, how my boss makes copies of my copies. Or we have a defeatist attitude. Oh, well, that's, you know, 
well, I'm just waiting until Jesus returns. <laughs> One day He'll come back and I'm just going to endure. Hallelujah. So spiritual. Well, you, you've lost the truth of the Gospel if you feel that way. Because there's not only there's grace provided, but there's victory in being Christ. See, all of this leans towards this a- attitude of us like saying, I am the captain of my own soul. You know the Invictus poem? No matter what comes my way, no matter what troubles come against me, no one is going to get me down, right? No one, I'm the captain of my own soul. But that's just us stepping outside the means of grace and living in our own flesh. And when Peter calls us to endure, we're like, oh yeah, we'll endure. <laughs> that's not what we've been called to, brothers and sisters. We've been called to gracious endurance. It's us laying our lives down. If I was graciously enduring, I probably wouldn't have honked my horn for 10 seconds. And then I wouldn't have reaped the wrath of muscles. (laughs) What else does Peter, Peter encourage us with? In this endurance. Third thing is here, verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I would suggest Peter actually encourages us with that, the fact that we've been called to endure. Now that is a jagged pill to swallow. I don't like that. Everything within me wants to think of the ways that I could have got back at that guy. Everything within us, usually when we are hurt, we think of ways that we can hurt others. So we forego the grace and we definitely let go of the fact that we've been called to endure. How can this be? It's almost like Peter's like saying, wait, in our human thinking, we go, are you sure, Peter? Why would you say such a bold, audacious, difficult thing that this is what you are called to as brothers and sisters in Christ? I love the fact that this is Peter who's saying this. Why? Because Peter had to go through the same thinking that you and I do. You see, before Peter wrote this epistle to the church that is now modern-day Turkey, I don't know if you remember, but Peter had his own moments where he didn't believe it was the call to endure. See, what he did is he, Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem, and he's spending time with his disciples. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they knew what that meant. That meant that he was going to be martyred. And, he, and he, he explains this to them. And what does Peter say? Don't do it. Don't, don't go. And what does Jesus do? He encourages Peter so gently. <laughs> he says, get thee be, behind me, Satan. Has Jesus ever called any of you here this morning Satan? <laughs> what a moment of encouragement. And it doesn't even stop there. Peter, later on, Jesus is on trial and there's all this chaos happening and people are running around here and there trying to find the disciples and and when this little girl, servant girl goes, hey, 
I think that guy right there, he, he, was, he was a disciple of Jesus. And Peter's like, not me. I, was, I don't even know the guy. No, no, no. He was. He was a disciple. No, no, you, you have a different Peter. That's not me. It's a different guy. No, no, no. Look, hey, hey, religious people, this guy's a disciple. And then he, he cusses to prove his fact, the fact that he is not a disciple of Christ. Called to endure, uh-uh, not me. But see, when this truth of the calling to endure breaks in on Peter, it's not until he sees Christ hanging on the cross. Why is that so significant? Because like Peter, you and I often reject this calling. We often reject this fact that we're called to die to ourselves just like Jesus died. And if we reject that for Peter, if he were to say, no, far be it, Lord, that you go to the cross, what would have happened for Peter? He couldn't write this book for us this morning, saying you've been set free by the redemption of the cross. See, it was the way of the cross. It was the calling of the cross that Peter's able to boldly say, walk in grace as you endure these trials, even when you suffer for doing good. And us this morning, we're, we're given that option. We're, we're, we're confronted this morning by saying, are we going to re- realize that for those of us who have put our hope in Jesus, that this is a calling, and we're going to do it in grace, or are we going to do the way of the world? Are we going to say, no, I don't want to be an exile. No, I don't want to be a sojourner. This is too hard. This is, I just love the way of the comfort. And I'm going to give in and reject that calling. Here's the beautiful thing for us this morning. If you're on the fence, if you're saying, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I know that in my mind, but it's really hard to do. God doesn't just say, hey, just do it. He empowers us. Look at this. Verse 22 and 23. It says, speaking of Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued and trusting himself to him who judges justly. See, Jesus, he's our model. And even that isn't fully enough for us this morning because if we just try to say, you know, wear the bracelet, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Oh, he wouldn't have honked his horn. What would Jesus do? Oh, he wouldn't get, get upset around, you know, about his boss. Or he wouldn't, he wouldn't feel misunderstood. That is a crushing weight to try to do in our own strength. Right? What would Jesus do? You should be like Jesus. Well, I know, but it's super hard. Not only is Jesus our model, but he's our means. See, it doesn't stop there. Look at this. Verse 24 through 25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I love this. I always don't put this in the context of endurance. And it says, by his wounds you have been healed. Listen, guys, when you're wounded, when you're enduring for suffering, for doing well, by Jesus' wounds you are healed. 
we often just think of that as just physical healing when and there's a disease in our body. But how much in the context of us suffering for doing well is this give us hope? Verse 25, for you were straying like sheep. You were, you were giving in to enduring on your own strength. You were giving in to retaliating. You were, re, you were wanting revenge. You were saying you were the captain of your own soul. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, Jesus is not only our, only our model where it says that he was reviled, yet he didn't revile and return. He's also our means. And yes, WWJD, but also, I don't know what the acronym would be, (laughs) J-I-Y-M, Jesus is your means. And we have to wear both of those bracelets. Just like last week, talking about walking a tightrope, often what we do is we go, oh, I'll just do what Jesus did. And it crushes us and we fall off the tightrope because we're only holding on to one weight. And then the other one is, well, Jesus, this is only my means. And so I'll just hold on. No, we've got to hold both of those together. And we walk down the tightrope and get to the other side. I love that it says that Jesus is the overseer and the shepherd of my soul. That empowers me to be able to relinquish whatever rights I think I have as an American as a human, as a man, whatever dignity I find in myself, I can say, Lord, I lay that down and I put it at your feet. Why? Because you are the shepherd of my soul. You're the overseer. By your wounds, I've been healed. When somebody cuts me off, that's okay. Why? Because you oversee my soul. Not the guy. When my boss tries to find fault with me so they don't have to give me a better raise, that's okay. Why? Because Jesus, you are the shepherd of my soul. You're the overseer. I can relinquish all my rights. And when I look over the shoulder of the person who's reviling me, I don't see what I want to get. I see Christ. I see the Father. I see the Holy Spirit. And I worship them, not the person I want to end with this with you guys. You know that that poem Invictus talks about, I am the captain of my own soul. Someone turned around and wrote a gospel response to that. And I want to read that to you. I think it's going to be up here for you this morning. It says, Out of the light that dazzles me, bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror, of my soul. Since his the sway of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud under the rule which men call chance, my head with joy is humbly bowed. Beyond this place of sin and tears, that life with him and his the aid, despite the menace of the years, keeps and will keep me unafraid. I have no fear, though straight the gate. He cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. Will you stand with me this morning?